0: continue a message series entitled That Guy, and uh, if you were here last week, you kind of heard us introduce the story of Joseph, and that's kind of where we're at today, and if you missed last week, not a problem at all, I'll catch you up to speed, but we're learning about uh, the specific moments that happen in life and how not to be that guy. Well, it was 1980, I was growing up in Melrose Park, Illinois, six years old a part of the recently crowned junior peewee football champion gales of melrose park that's it no cla- thank you thank you thank you thank you no 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 really no no really thank you um we were known we were pretty hot stuff during that time our uniforms were really loud as in green bay packer loud they were bright green and yellow you could tell us from everywhere and we were pretty dang part of ourselves well, it was wintertime, and a snowstorm hurt, um, hit, and as a snowstorm hit in Chicago, um, you know this, it, it, is, it can wallop you, and so what happens is, is when the roads get covered, the, the snow machines, they come down the street, and they blow all the snow off to the sides, and so it creates almost like a, a castle-like field with walls up and down the streets. Well, at six years old, again, a different time period, we, I would walk to school, and so I would walk, and my friends would come out of their houses, and we would all walk down the street together. And at the snow edge, it was piled up, and all of a sudden, we heard a noise coming down the street. And it was the noise of a really loud clunker that was coming down. And I just want to give you some encouragement. If you ever grow up or if you're ever in the streets of Chicago, don't ever drive down a residential neighborhood with a big clunker of a car during the winter because it's too easy of a target. I'm just saying. So all of a sudden, I saw one of my teammates, and he said, get down, get down. And we all cowered up and down this street behind this big snow bank. So then I looked down the street and, and he said, supply up. So all of a sudden we started making our snowballs. And this car starts coming down the street. And you gotta be really, really calculated when you do this because you gotta get the surprise. The element of surprise is important. So all of a sudden one of my teammates said, "Now!" and we all jumped up and from both sides of the street these green and yellow uniforms of being loud and proud. We start pelting this big car. Now what typically happens when we did this, and by the way for the children watching online or here, this is a really really bad example, but I'm going to get to a point, I promise, okay? You're not to do this, don't do this at home, don't do this. Well, good thing in Myrtle Beach we don't get much snow. But anyway, so we start pelting this car, and on a normal day, the car just continues to go and actually speeds up and gets out of Dodge. But today was unique. All of a sudden, the car slams on its brakes and stops in the middle of the road. Door flies open, and this 55 to 60 year old lady gets out of the car, and she is mad. We all are stunned. That's never happened before. So we all are just looking at each other like, what do we do? Do we run? What do we do? And you ever watch those Western movies where there's a standoff at the O.K. Corral and you got two different groups of people just staring at each other and, and you're just wondering, what are they gonna do, what are they gonna do? Well, it was kinda like that. I even heard like a, you know, a Clint Eastwood whistle in the background somewhere. And I looked down the street and I saw in my friend's eyes, I saw most of us like, what do we do? And one of my friends, all of a sudden, I see this twinkle in his eye and I'm like, oh no. And sure enough, he goes, get her! And everybody grabs their snowballs, and they start pelting this lady. And she's getting hit and smacked, and she turns around, and she hustles back to the car, and she slams the door. And I want to remind you, I was six years old, okay, so don't judge me. Some of you are sitting there who don't know me, and they're like, yes, this pastor's terrible. We're out of here. Anyway, so she gets in the car, she takes off, and speeds away. We are victorious. We're loud and proud. We walk down the street. We go into the school, and we sit in our classroom, and we're all telling stories. Well, I told you this day was unique because all of a sudden, over the announcement speaker, it said this. Well, all the members of the Gales football team, please come down to the principal's office. And all of us are looking. And we're like, uh oh. So I, I'm sitting in the desk, and I know I'm in trouble. And I'm anticipating, I've never been to the principal's office, and I'm thinking, this is miserable, this is terrible, we're going to get in big trouble. And I see all of my friends get up, and I notice that they're all wearing their uniforms. I look down, I've got my uniform on. And so I thought about it ahead of the moment. So I got up and I grabbed the jacket, the big, way oversized, big, puffy, comfy, ridiculous jacket that my mom gave me to keep me warm. And I put that thing over me, and I zipped it up from top to bottom. You couldn't see an ounce of green or yellow on me. I walk down to the principal's office. True story, I'll never forget. You ever have that vivid memory where you never forget? I was six years old and I don't, I don't forget this. And we walk in and they had us line up in the principal's office against the wall. And all of a sudden, this little lady comes walking in and we're like, oh my gosh. And she comes and she goes one by one and she looks at my friend, he's got his uniform, she goes, yep, yep, yep. And she comes to me and she looks and she goes, Nope, and kept going. I took off. I got out of that office. I was so thankful. Here's the moral of the story. I promise we're going to turn this around. Very bad example. Don't pelt people with snowballs, but it does help when you think ahead of a moment. Now, it got me out of trouble, and that's the wrong example, but I think you can kind of see the point. And we're going to talk about Joseph. And Joseph, we're going to see that he's going to have a moment come up in his life. And we're going to see the tiny mistakes that Joseph makes, which allows him to be in a world of trouble. And so we'll learn along the way. We'll apply it to our lives. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 2. Here we go. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Pause right there and leave it there for a second. Catching everybody from last week up, if you remember, we left and Joseph was being sold by his brothers. And so traders came by and they went ahead and they picked up Joseph. So Joseph went from the most popular, adored son by his father to now being a slave in Egypt. And Potiphar's servants picked him up in a trade. And now he's living in Potiphar's house and serving with Potiphar. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the house of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar as he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So, Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Now, isn't it amazing that Joseph goes from being the most popular and adored son to then getting himself into trouble because he was arrogant, like we said, and he gets sold into slavery and he goes all the way to rock bottom. But then it says this, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. If you were here last week, I want to remind you of something. That Joseph was pretty self-centered. That Joseph was pretty arrogant. If you remember, it said last week, we said that Joseph had a dream. So he takes the dream and he runs and he tells and he rubs it into his brother's faces. This dream means that I'm going to be above you. And what what did his brothers think? They were aggravated. If you've ever had a brother, you know what I'm talking about. They hated him. It says actually in Scripture, they hated him even more. So then, did Joseph learn from his mistake? No. What did it say? He had another dream. And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he goes, I'm going to go tell my brothers again. It's as if Joseph didn't care about wisdom. He didn't care about doing the right thing. He just wanted to rub it into his brother's faces that he was awesome and they were not. Well, all of a sudden, he gets sold in slavery. He gets rock bottom. And isn't it true that in our lives, God allows valleys to hit our lives to make us pay attention, right? And the thing I think we learn about Joseph is Joseph was paying attention because it says the Lord was with Joseph. Go back one, guys. The Lord was with Joseph, which means this. Self-centered, arrogant, prideful Joseph realized you know what, I need God. I need to listen to my father. And did you notice that because he listened to God and because he listened to the wisdom of God, Potiphar's house flourished, which caused Potiphar to believe that the God of Joseph is pretty amazing. In fact, he turned all of his household affairs over to Joseph. And it says that we just read that Potiphar recognized the Lord was amazing. You know, before Jesus ascended to the heaven. One of the last instructions that he gave his disciples was this. Now, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples. And you know, many times as Christians, if you're not a Christian, pay really close attention. We Christians in here, we know we have a responsibility to live our life, to honor Christ, so that we can pour into others. In other words, we let our neighbors, our friends, see Christ in us, and we look for opportunities to share so that we can disciple one another, to grow them in Christ. But, you know, there's an antithesis to this. If you're not a Christian, many of us, we sit there and go, is there a purpose for my life? Is there a plan for my life? Does God really exist? Yes. And do you know that your purpose is to be discipled? If we, as Christians, are supposed to disciple others, then if you don't know anything, or lick about Christianity, your responsibility is to be discipled. And so Potiphar is sitting in a house being influenced by Joseph. Joseph recognized in the moment, I need my Savior. I need God. And because of that, Potiphar's whole household was transformed. Why am I saying this? We just got done seeing the story of a family, of a dad who says, I realize that I need to be an example to my daughter. We saw a mom that says, I need to be an example to my daughter. We see a daughter that says, I want Jesus, and all of them realizing the magnitude of their decisions. Isn't it true that the best way to know God is to know someone that knows God? We saw Potiphar's house transformed because they knew someone that knew God. And every single parent in this room, I'm going to tell you this, it's not the church's responsibility to raise your child spiritually. It's yours. I can promise you what happens at home is far more important than what happens here at church because you can't drop your child off one day a week and expect God to fix them. Moms and dads, grandparents, it's our responsibility, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to make sure that we, like Joseph, are shining the light of Christ and discipling so that the next generation, so that our children grow up knowing God because they know someone who knows God. So here's my million-dollar question. Do those around you know that you know God? And if you don't know that answer, then it's time for you to start calling on the God who can change the universe and to start discipling one another. We continue on in verse 6. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and have a sleepover with me. We have little ears in the room. She demanded, But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I have to pause here because this is so amazing, okay? I want you to lean in here for a second. Remember that we begin with Joseph. He's all full of himself. He thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. He's a, you know, he doesn't think about God. And all of a sudden, he's moving through. He hits a valley. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph. And then all of a sudden, Joseph is hit with a moment where temptation is right in front of his eyes. And the first thing he does is he says this, how could I do such a wicked thing? Let's analyze this. Here's what Joseph did. He paused after she made the request. And he thought to himself, where am I? Right now, I have been given authority. Right now, my master trusts me. Right now, I'm having great influence. Right now, God is blessing me. And then Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing He thought about the end before he made his choice. He thought about where he was. He thought about what God would expect of him before he made his choice. And he said, how could I ever do such a wicked thing? Do you know how difficult this was for Joseph? If you were here last week, you remember that we said, it's much harder to not be like your parents than it is to be like, does that make sense? It's so hard not to be like your parents. Now, if you had great parents, that's awesome. If you had some bad examples by your parents, that's not so good, right? And so guess what? Do you know who Joseph's dad was? His name was Jacob. And let me just tell you a little bit bit about Jacob. Jacob, he got married one day. And on his honeymoon night, he woke up with the wrong woman. You want to talk about someone who got to the moment and didn't know what to do? For years, he struggled, Jacob, because he just kept getting swindled. He kept getting taken advantage of. He kept getting thrown from one side to the next in the family. Jacob gave an example to his family of someone who was not prepared for the moment. And so here's Joseph, who is, best things in sliced bread. I'm amazing. I'm not learning. And he hits a valley. And then all of a sudden, God begins to use him because he pauses. And Joseph learned. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing? How many of us have continued to hit valleys and we continue to do the same thing and we've not learned from our past mistakes and God right now is looking into you and saying it's time to stop and it's time to pause and it's time to call upon me and it's time to learn from your mistakes and it's time to choose a different path. We continue the story. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. But one day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come and have a sleepover with me. Joseph tore himself away and he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. You know, this is the story of so many of our friends and family members in Myrtle Beach and those watching online wherever you're at in the world. What I love is, is it says this, then one day, then one day, one day, Joseph was doing his best. He was trying to keep out of her hair. He was trying to avoid her as much as possible. And then it says, then one day, which means this wrong place, wrong time, wrong moment. Wish I hadn't been there. And some of you are saying, well, Terry, you're being a little hard on Joseph. I mean, you know, Joseph, he's a good guy. Yes, he is. But, I mean, Joseph tried to avoid her, but, you know, I mean, it happens. No, it doesn't. Let me tell you why. Because if you read the story, which we just read, what did it say about Joseph? He had complete administrative authority over the house. Whatever Joseph wanted, he could have. And it said every single day, he had a woman that kept trying to get him to do something that he knew would cost him his future. And so one day happens, and he walks in, and he's by himself. Joseph could have said, Potiphar, I need an armed guard by me at all times. I need people around me at all times. And it says that Potiphar would give him whatever he wanted. But Joseph, instead of thinking of the future, he just thought he could handle it. Because one day became a day where he was overwhelmed. And let's see see what happens to Joseph. Take a look at this. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants and soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to have a sleepover, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself. Wrong place, wrong time. And what's the point? The point of the matter is, is that we need to make sure that we anticipate the moment before the moment can happen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The more preparation that you have, the less margin for error. The more you think ahead about your meetings, your circumstances, your days, the more you anticipate, God, what's going to happen today. The more you call upon God and say, God, I pray you give me wisdom today as I go about my day. Isn't it true that many of us, we're Christians, we get up and we don't think about God. We just jump straight into our work day and we, we don't even think, we don't even pray, we just go right at it. Meanwhile, the God of the universe is looking down and saying, Terry, you're about to step into something today. And if you would just stop, turn and talk to me, I could warn you but instead we just, ah, I got this. I got this. How can we be better in the moment? Let me give you some notes. First, we need to learn to have imaginary conversations. It's true. I have imaginary conversations all the time. If you're in Myrtle Beach and you see me in the summertime, my window's down, I will be talking to myself. I'm really not talking to myself. I'm actually having imaginary conversations. Let me, let me give you a case in point. I learned a long time ago that before I go into a meeting, before I go into a counseling appointment, before maybe even having a discussion with my bride, I begin to anticipate that conversation and say, all right, when I get home, um, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to honor my bride? Well, the first thing I'm gonna do is not be negative. The first thing I'm gonna do is not tell her all about my day. You know what, when I walk into the house, I'm gonna ask her, hey, how was your day, Pookie? The next thing I want to do is to make sure I don't minimize the fact that she was home with my son and helping him with his homeschool. So I don't want to walk in and say, I mean, what do you do? I'm the one who makes all the money. That would be bad. That was a joke, by the way. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. And so you have imaginary conversations at work. How important is it before you go into a meeting to have an imaginary conversation? Imagine what you would say. Imagine what they would say. Imagine what you would say back. You can save yourself a whole lot of heartache if you have imaginary conversation. Here's the other thing. You want to have an end in mind. Think of the end before you begin your conversation. What's my goal here? Do you know how many arguments and fights would stop with marriages if we just paused for the moment and actually thought about what we wanted in the end? Trust me, how many, guys, how many of you have gotten to an argument at nine o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, the way you thought the night was going to go is not going to happen? You ever been there? Imagine the end in mind. You know, if I say this, this is probably going to get me into a world of trouble. I better just bite my tongue. How much that would help all of us if we would just think ahead. And then we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I said it's very, very difficult to not be like your parents. And what I would say is, is that it's a little uncomfortable to not be like them. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last night, and he said this. He said, you know, Terry, I'm beginning to realize as I get older that I have influence over people, and it's my responsibility to influence them for the better. And I've struggled because when a person would come into my office and gossip about another employee, if I agreed with that gossip, I would just jump right in and say, yeah, that guy's a jerk. And and that was just comfortable for me, that's what I knew. Well, all of a sudden, God really smacked me a few months ago, and I've been trying to not gossip And the other day, I had a person come in who did it all the time with me, and they complained about the same person that we've complained about before. And do you know what I did? I go, no. He says, I paused, and I said, maybe he had a bad day. And my friend looked at me and said, who are you? And I tried to encourage him, and it was really uncomfortable. Isn't it true that sometimes when you try to do the right thing, you can feel uncomfortable? But sometimes you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We continue on. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph and treated her, so he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Joseph ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time because Joseph thought he could handle the situation. And here's the truth. If you're taking notes, don't be naive. Don't be that guy. Many times we're naive, and this is what we think. Take a look at this. It's better to be skeptical than naive. Naive. If you're a naive, you're ill-prepared for the moments that happen in life. If you're skeptical, you're a little bit guarded. If you're naive, you're present in the moment, which means you're not thinking of the end in mind. If you're skeptical, you pause, and you're always thinking about what's going to happen in the future. If you're naive, you don't bring any experience. You don't build off of any experience. You just jump from meeting to meeting doing the same thing over and over again. When you're skeptical or when you're guarded, you lean on your past experiences. And you might have slept the whole message, but I hope that you grab onto this next statement and I hope that you apply it to your life because it will suit you well. Think about your future in the moment so that your moment doesn't ruin your future. Think about your future in the moment so that your moment doesn't ruin your future. Do you know how many marriages are destroyed because someone doesn't think about the future in the moment that temptation hits? And Joseph's life now is hanging in the balance. But you know how many times I think Joseph in jail could have thought I could have had a guard with me, I could have had someone around. I had complete control. Why did I? Why did I? Why was I so naive? Why didn't I do this? And you know, there's a guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament, and he wrote to a church in Corinth. And I want you to see what Paul had to say about the moment and about temptation. Take a look at this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, I want you to key in on this. That's a period. This is the beginning of a new sentence. It says, and God is faithful, period. Okay, just remember that. He will not allow you to allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, This is the most misquoted scripture in the Bible. Maybe there's others, but this one I hear it all the time. Because I hear Christians all the time say, well, I know God will never give me more than I can handle. That is not biblically accurate. It's not. And let me tell you why. Because we have a lot of Christians who don't lean upon God who don't wake up and say, God, it is by your power, it is by your wisdom, it is by your strength. And so as I go about my day, I pray as the moments hit, God, I pray that I would be quick to be mindful of you in the moment. There's many Christians who don't lean on God's faithfulness. That's why it says, and God is faithful, because I need God in moments. And let me tell you something, if you don't lean upon him, and if you take it upon your strength, and you think that you can handle every situation because you're a Christian, then you don't know the scriptures. Because I can tell you something, I can fall like that if I don't lean upon his power. I am Terry. I am human. I am weak. I'm in the flesh. Terry, Praying, seeking God's faith, asking for God's strength in the moment is powerful. Terry alone, one day, by himself, acting with naivety, is bound to be overwhelmed and fail. So don't allow temptation to hit you by yourself on one day. Instead, remember he is faithful. Think about your future in the moment so that the moment doesn't ruin your future. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for Joseph. I thank you for this message. I thank you, God, for um, the seriousness of this, God. And I pray for every believer in Christ in this room. God, we, sometimes we take advantage of our relationship with you. Sometimes we live our life and we just say, well, I'm a Christian. And so we just think everything's going to be okay. And God, that's not scripturally true. God, every day you desire us to lean upon your power, upon your strength. It is by your hand that we have success and blessing because everything comes from you. And so God, you are faithful and we admit that today. And so help us to have wisdom in every moment of our life and help us to lean on your power so that we can have success. Father, thank you so much for the life of Joseph. And thank you that we're gonna learn in the next two weeks how you miraculously restore he his family, but God, these moments matter, so help us to not be that guy. We pray these things in Jesus' name.